Yo, 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 good evening and happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to episode 109 of Sports Takes Galore. I'm your humble host, Gabe, and thank you again for listening. Back again with another football recap and takeaways Tuesday as I'll do a recap of Georgia's national championship win over the Alabama Crimson Tide, finally. And I'll do a recap on all the week 18 action in the NFL, along with my takeaways from week 18 in the NFL. And I'll close with my takes on Black Monday as some NFL head coaches were shown the door coming up on the other side. Stay tuned. I'll leave it at that. All right, now without further ado, let's get right into it. I'm going to start my opening tape in college, college football. I'll start with last night's national championship game, and I'm going to start off by channeling my inner rock. Finally, the Georgia Bulldogs has beaten Alabama. And finally, Kirby Smart has beaten Nick Saban. That's right, the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship by beating the Alabama Crimson Tide 33-18, winning their first title since 1980 when Herschel Walker was the best running back in college football. This game was mostly a defensive game for almost three quarters. I mean, it was 9-6 at halftime, 13-9 at the end of the third quarter in favor of Georgia. Alabama took the lead by scoring nine straight to take an 18-13 lead. And then Georgia scored the final 20 points, including a pick six by Kaylee Rango to seal the win for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now you got to give kudos to Kirby Smart and his coaching staff. In the SEC Championship, their defense got torn to shreds by Bryce Young and Alabama. Bryce Young, I mean, he just got any play he wanted to whenever he wanted. But in this game... It seems like Kirby Smart and company made the necessary adjustments because they basically had Bryce Young on the ropes. I mean, they got pressure on him. They blitzed him, forced him to throw before he wanted to. And it obviously worked out for them because they were struggled to move the ball. And this is what you saw from Georgia all season long. I mean, throughout most of the year, they were the number one defense in college football I mean they were almost like the 85 Bears but of course in the SEC championship game it didn't look so but they reestablished themselves in the college football playoff against Michigan and right here in this matchup Stetson Bennett at 224 yards two touchdowns no picks Zaire White 84 yards and one TD James White at 77 yards Russian. And of course, the defense, they forced two turnovers, two Bryce Young interceptions. Now, Bryce Young had 369 yards on 57 attempts. And he had one touchdown and those two picks. They didn't get nothing in the running game. I mean, of course, most of the yardage they lost was on sacks that Bryce Young took. I mean, Brian Robinson Jr. had 68 yards rushing. And of course, a blow to Alabama offense was Jameis Williamson, who had four catches for 65 yards in the first half, but left the game with a knee injury. And unfortunately, 
sad to report that it's a torn ACL so next season is jeopardized for this kid so you really feel for this kid and hopefully he will get well soon but you have to give it up to Georgia I mean Kirby Smart the coaching staff and the players I mean they went out there and gave it their all I mean you could tell these guys love each other I mean you could see the brotherhood from this team especially after they won the national championship game and as for Alabama I mean yeah this this loss sucks but we all know they're going to be back Nick Saban ain't going to take this lying down I mean Bryce Young's going to be back for another season and you might as well just say he's got to be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy again this season and Alabama is already favored to win the national championship next season. So, Alabama's not dead yet. So, look out. Now, for Georgia, now, will they finally take Alabama's place as a dominant team in the SEC? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, maybe this might be just a one-upper. That, you know, after this year, Georgia's going back to being number two behind Alabama or maybe some other team might catch them we'll just have to wait and see it's going to be an interesting 2020 season coming up in September to see if Georgia can duplicate the same success now that ends my college football segment now let's go to the NFL I mean there were some pretty good games at the end of week 18 I'd say the evening, the, the afternoon and the evening game, you'll know which one I'm talking about if you don't already, were the games of the year in the 2020-21 NFL season. But I'm going to start off with the Chiefs and the Broncos. The Chiefs pulled this one out 28-24. Now the Broncos had a chance to pull up the upset. They were driving, but then the Chiefs defense came up with a big play, hitting Melvin Gordon, the running back. Forcing the fumble, and the Chiefs defense scooped it up and scored. Sealing the Broncos' fate. Now, Patrick Mahomes had 270 yards, two touchdowns, 54 yards rushing, which he was a leading rusher. McColl Hardman had 103 yards receiving. Byron Pringle had 56 yards. Travis Kelsey, 34 yards and one touchdown. They didn't get nothing from... um, Tyreek Hill, which he had, which we believe is a heel injury, so we'll have to monitor that this week to see, because they play the Steelers in the wild card game on Sunday night. So we'll see what his availability status looks like. Now, in a losing effort, Drew Locke had 162 yards, no TDs, no picks. Melvin Gordon looked like his old self, 110 yards and one TD. Well, of course, he had that fumble. Tim Patrick, 95 yards receiving. And Jerry Judy, 30 yards. So the Broncos finished the season 7-10. And, and of course, it wasn't enough to save Vic Vangio as he was canned on Monday as head coach of the Broncos. Now for the Chiefs. I mean, this is a good win. But still, they didn't look like they were clicking on all cylinders. Now, not having Tyreek play fully 
might have had a factor in it, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes cannot be leading the Chiefs in, in rushing. I mean, you know, maybe Clyde Hilaire will be back for this game against the Steelers, and Darrell Williams will give them some running as well. But they got to be, they got, they need to be firing all cylinders. I mean, they sm- they smashed the Steelers, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think the Steelers are going to forget. So it's, it's going to be a different game than last time. As for the Broncos, now that Vangio is going, gone, they're going to be searching for a new head coach. Here's the thing. The new head coach needs to um, ask the ownership of the Broncos, what are y'all going to do at the quarterback position? Because look, Drew Locke is not it. I mean, you had Bridgewater, and Bridgewater, you know, he had his moments, but... I mean, he's not a starting quarterback anymore. He's basically a bridge. So, the next head coach needs to um make sure that the owner the ownership has a plan on getting him a quarterback because there's a lot of talent on this offense. Vic Vangio built a, a good defense, so now I just need the offense to complement this defense. Now let's move on to Pittsburgh versus Baltimore. Now, the Steelers won this matchup 16-13 in overtime. Now, this was mostly a defensive struggle. Basically, a typical Pittsburgh-Baltimore game. Ben Roethlisberger had 244 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Chase Claypool had 33 yards rushing, 37 yards receiving. Najee Harris had 28 yards rushing, 27 yards receiving. And... Dante Johnson at 51 yards. And Pat Furramont had 53 yards receiving. Now, of course, the Ravens did not play Lamar Jackson again, which I'm happy to, to see. But Tyler Hudley had 141 yards and two interceptions. He also had 72 yards rushing. They actually got some running out of somebody else other than Tyler Hudley. Latavius Murray had 150 yards and one touchdown. Mark Andrews, their tight end, had 85 yards. And Hollywood Brown had 27 yards receiving. Now, for Pittsburgh, they were able to squeak in the playoffs due to what happened with the Chargers and the Raiders. We'll talk more about that later. But it's good to see that the Steelers are not going to end the Ben Roethlisberger um, era in the post in the regular season. Now it may come to an end in the playoffs. You never know. But you got to give kudos to Mike Tomlin for another excellent job as head coach. Fifteen years and never had a losing season. As for the Ravens, I mean, them being out of the playoffs. I mean, this was a disappointment, but they got a lot of work to be. I mean, Lamar Jackson, of course, has to get healthy. They got, a, they got. Hopefully, the running backs that they lost in the preseason will be better. And, it, and as far as the receiving, I mean, outside of Mark Andrews, they got to get some consistency out of the wide receivers. I mean, I mean, how's Mark? I mean, Lamar Jackson's going to grow as a quarterback if he doesn't have good receivers to throw to. I mean, Mark Andrews is a good safety blanket at tight end, but I mean. He got to be able to beat teams with his arm and beat teams deep. And right now, I mean, he doesn't have any receivers that scares anybody. 
And of course, they need to rebuild their defense. I mean, their, de- their defense did lose some key players. But even before that, this defense was looked old and slow. So, we'll see what happens with the Ravens going forward. Now, let's move on to the games of the year. One I'm happy about, so I'm going to go with that one. And that's my 49ers versus the LA Rams. My 49ers pulled this game out 27-24 in overtime and punched their ticket into the playoffs, which was good because, I mean, you can't depend on the Falcons to beat the Saints. I mean, that's a rivalry game. I mean, we, the, the Falcons are what their record says they are. And that's why they're sitting at home on the couch along with the Saints. The Niners were down 17 to nothing. And I bet this was frustrating. I mean, basically, they could get nothing going on offense. I mean, the Rams came out and punched them in the face on, on the offensive side of the ball. But before the half ended, the Niners got the three points to end the half. And I basically said, you know what? Just need 14 points in the fourth quarter in the third quarter, and we're good. And they did just that. They scored 14 unanswered points to cut the lead to 17 to 17 at the end of the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, they both traded seven points each to go into overtime. The Niners took the ball first, took it down the field, got a field goal. And then here's where it all ended. The Rams made a few plays on first down. Matthew Stafford decided to try the rookie, Aubrey Thomas, with Odell Beckham Jr. And Aubrey Thomas delivered. He got the interception to end the game. So now, the Niners will be facing the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk about that game on Friday. Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he had a rough outing at first, but he hung in there. And he made the plays when it counted. He had 316 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Elijah Mitchell had 85 yards rushing. Debo Samuel had 45 yards rushing and a touchdown. He also had 95 yards receiving. And he he, he, he um, passed for his first touchdown pass when he passed for 24 yards to Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings has, has proven to be that third receiver for the Niners. Basically replacing my guy, Kendrick Bourne. Brandon Ayuk, I mean, has come alive. He had 107 yards receiving. Now, Matthew Stafford, a loose effort, had 238 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But kudos to the, the Niners' defense. They held the Rams to only 64 yards as a team. Cooper Cup did his thing 118 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Higby had 55 yards and two touchdowns. But despite that loss by the Rams, they won the NFC West division because the Cardinals couldn't get the job done at home versus the Seattle Seahawks and lost that game pretty soundly. So now, but yet, these two teams are going to play each other in the playoffs in the wild card round for the third time this season. And of course, these two teams split 
1-1, both winning in each other's home stadium. We'll talk more about that game Friday. As for my Niners, you got to give kudos to Kyle Shanahan, the coach and the team. Despite being down, they never quit. I mean, this has to be probably Kyle Shanahan's best win as head coach of the Niners. I mean, being down 17 to nothing, he held the team together, came up with the um, plays and needed to, um, to get going, and finally got it going. Now, they, and now, I, I'll say more about this in my takeaways. But, kudos to my Niners for having an up and down roller coaster season to finally get into the playoffs. Now let's move on to the Chargers versus the Raiders. The Raiders pulled it out 35-32 in overtime. Now what made this game interesting is the Raiders had a chance to put this team away. They were up 29-14 in the fourth quarter. But then the Chargers, led by Justin Herbert, scored 15 unanswered points in regulation to send the game into overtime. Now the Raiders and the Chargers were up, were, had 32-32 to 32 tie. Now of course, there was so much talk in this game about, you know, a tie and everything like that. And if both of them had, if this was a tie, both these teams would have made the playoffs. And the Steelers would have been on the outside looking in. But really, this game by the Chargers was blown by their head coach, Brandon Staley. Two boneheaded plays cost him this game. Now, in the fourth, in the third quarter, it was fourth and two under 18. They decided to go for it and got stopped. You were down by three points. Punt the ball and play defense. But what this shows is that Brandon Staley had no um, confidence in his defense. And I guess I can't blame him. I mean... They're very ranked, well, I think, 28th in total defense, especially against the run. Then, late in overtime, where it actually could have been a tie, Brandon Staley decided to call a timeout on the Raiders' final drive. They try to get set up, as he said it, but, but, the Raiders decide just to go ahead and kick the field goal. They got in field goal range, kicked it, and, w- and went to the playoffs while the Chargers went home. Now for the Raiders, this was a gutsy win. I mean, Derek Carr had 186 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs, 132 yards and one touchdown. Brian Edwards, 63 yards receiving. Hunter Redford, two touchdown catches. But unfortunately, we're not going to see Justin Herbert who had a magnificent performance and not going to see the playoffs. 383 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Austin Eckelar, 64 yards, rushing, one TD. Mike Williams at wide receiver, 119, one TD. Jared Cook, 80 yards receiving, and Keenan Allen, 52 yards. And like I say, now the Raiders will be facing the Cincinnati Bengals, which I think will be an intriguing matchup in itself. We'll talk more about that one on Friday as well. 
but for the Chargers, I'm not going to kill Brandon Staley too much. I mean, he does deserve some blame and some criticism. But what you saw were rookie coach mistakes. I mean, he, he depended too much on the analytics. Maybe he needs to throw that analytics sheet away and start depending on the guys on the team. Because it's obvious that the analytics is the reason why we've been robbed of Justin Herbert in the playoffs. So, anywho, that'll be that'll be it for the NFL segment, at least the first part of it. Now, the second part will be my takeaways from Week 18. First takeaway. I think it's a two-man race for MVP. Rodgers or Tom Brady? Roger, Tom Brady, Rodgers. I mean, you could make a case for either guy, and you wouldn't re- really wouldn't be wrong. Now, of course, Bruce Arians, as he said, if Tom Brady doesn't win the MVP, it'd be a travesty. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, let's look at Tom Brady's stats. I mean, he passed for over 5,000 yards. He had... The most completions of any quarterback in the NFL, 800, 485 complete, I mean completions, 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Rodgers had 4,000 yards, over 4,000 yards passing, 366 completions, 37 touchdowns, and 4 interceptions. Both the teams are 13-4. Of course, the Packers had the number one seed because they had the better record and a better conference record. Now there's a chance these two teams could see each other for the NFC Championship game. But, hey, would you be surprised if this this was a co-MVP year where Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers win it? Which, of course, the first time since Peyton Manning and Steve McNair did it in 2004. It ain't as far-fetched as you think. I mean... As I say, you can make the case for either, and you can't go wrong. So, but me, I'm thinking I'm just gonna go. I think personally, I'm gonna go with Rodgers. I mean, I mean, yeah, Brady has better numbers, but I mean, statistically and efficiently, I think Aaron Rodgers was the better quarterback. So I'm gonna go with Rodgers. Second takeaway: This is about the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are the most resilient team in the NFL this season. The things they went through. I mean, you had John Gruden getting fired after emails came out that he um, ba- um made um, racial comments about certain play, about, about DeMarcus Smith, along with homophobic comments and all that other stuff. You had Henry Ruggs, an up-and-coming receiver, arrested felony DUI which resulted in someone being killed and in comes interim head coach Rich Fasasi Fasasi I guess I said that right if I didn't my apologies and he's held this team together and it looked like for the third straight year that Raiders was on the verge of collapse that they was not even going to sniff the playoffs but they did and they won three in a row 
to make it to the postseason. So you must say, you want to talk about resiliency? Look no further than the L. Las Vegas Raiders. Now my third takeaway is the Arizona Cardinals. Now I asked this question, I think, last time, and I think it needs to be asked again. And I'm asking this again because this is going into the postseason, they've lost four of their last five games. Now, you're supposed to be a playoff team and a possible Super Bowl contender. This is not good. I mean, they had a chance to win the um, NFC West title and got beat by the Seahawks, who played spoiler. Now I'm asking this question again. If the Rams bounced him in the first round, does this mean Cliff Kingsbury gets shown the door? I mean, I did say and I, that if he didn't make the playoffs, he would get fired. But I mean, they were 7-0 at one time. And now, they ended up 11-6. But it, this basically means that hiring him wasn't a good idea. I mean, I mean, he had two losing seasons, which, you know, I can't kill him for that. But we all know year three for most coaches are make or break years. But, I mean, they're not going in the playoffs hot. They're going in the playoffs wounded, struggling. I mean, okay, they didn't have, you know, DeAndre Hopkins... You know, he, I mean, down the stretch, but still, they still got more than capable players, and you still got Kyler Murray. So, all I'm going to say is this just be mindful and don't be surprised if the Cardinals decide to make a move. If they get bounced out of the first round, and it might be how they get bounced out. I mean, if the Rams blow them out, you better believe Kingsbury's is going to get shown the door. He might as well not even get on the plane back to Arizona. And my final takeaway of week 18 is, is there a possibility we could be looking at a Bengals-Niners Super Bowl? Yeah, I know, that sounds far-fetched, but hear me out on this. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. My 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals are the two most dangerous teams in the playoffs. The Niners have everything you need to make a playoff run. They have the running game. They have the defense. They have the coach that knows how to draw up plays. Now, I know Jimmy Garoppolo does make a lot of boneheaded um, throws and things like that, but we all know when things are running, going in a running game, He's, a, he's an effective quarterback. And he knows how to make the plays out on the field. I mean, the Niners have the best Swiss Army knife in the NFL in Debo. And it got the people's tight end, which I believe is going to have a good game versus the Cowboys. And the defense has, has moved up to fourth in the NFL. I mean, yeah, the secondary is, is a little shaky, but... They look like they, they could be getting um, everything back together. Now that um, 
Emmanuel Mosley and Aubrey Thomas is getting better and better. So, as for the, and for the Bengals, I mean, they got the firepower to hang with any team. Whether it's the, it's the Chiefs, which they've shown they could. You know, the Titans. I mean, Cincinnati, I mean, they got everything they need to make a run. I mean, Joe Burrow's playing lights out. I mean, who's going to stop Jamar Chase? And then if you try, I mean, you got T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And Joe Mixon is an excellent running back. So, all I'm going to say is... Don't be surprised if two wildcard teams are the ones who represent the Super Bowl in L.A. in February. That will include this segment. I decided to close this segment with Black Monday. I decided to make this a separate segment instead of putting in my takeaways. As you know, Black Monday means coaches are being shown the door. So, here's what ha- here's what we got. I'm going to start with the one that just came down today. This, of course, didn't happen on Black Monday. It happened today, a few hours ago. And that's Joe Judge of the Giants. Now, it came... It, it, it was, at first, they had said that he was actually going to remain... going to be brought back in 2022. But then the brass decided, nah, we've seen enough. So Joe Judge was showing his walking papers after a disappointing 10 and 23 record his first two seasons. I know Giant fans have got to be jumping for joy. Because, I mean, the simple fact is the Giants weren't getting any better. They were getting worse. I mean, anybody, I didn't watch the game on Sunday, but... From everything I've read, it seemed like the players quit on Joe Judge. I mean, the play calling was so was, was just so bad. Now, and of course, there's there's been a lot of sto- some stories out there saying that the players wanted him gone. Now, here's the thing: when a coach loses the locker room in the NFL, he's done for. It's, it's just that simple. Now, yeah, they were praising him publicly, but privately. They were thinking something different. So, John Mara, I mean, he's going to find the right guy. Of course, you know, what, another good news is Dave Gettleman, the GM there for the last couple of years, who basically is the reason why they've been so terrible as well, eh, decided to retire. So, I'm going to say, they, hopefully they'll find, they'll, they'll find the right guy and the right coach. They just need to find the GM. And then the G, they need to have the GM needs to find a guy that he can be attached to the hip. All right, now let's go back to the Monday firings. I'm going to start with Mike Zimmer for the um, Minnesota Vikings. Now, I kind of mentioned that this was a possibility that he was going to get fired. I mean, he's been there basically eight seasons. I mean, he was fifty, he was seventy-two and fifty-six in one tie. I mean, they only went to the playoffs only a couple times. I mean, and of course, one time with Case Keenum, they went to the um, NFC Championship game and lost. Then, of course, they got they went out and got Kirk Cousins. 
I think they only had one play, playoff appearance when they got out of the first round and then my Niners spanked them. And not only that, the general manager, Rick Spielman, was also fired. So now they're going to be looking for a general manager, any coach. As I said with the Giants situation, once they hire a GM, they need to find a coach that he can be attached to the hip. I mean, you got to have you got to have the GM and the um, head coach working in tandem, or it's going to be a natch, or it's going to be a disaster. Next one, the Bears. Another one that wasn't a surprise. Matt Nagy was shown the door. I mean, he had four seasons, thirty-four and thirty-one record, with only one losing season. He led the Bears to a NFC North title in his first season, won Coach of the Year, but then after that, things went down from hell. He didn't do a very good job developing Mitchell Trubisky, and he didn't look like he was doing a very good job developing Justin Fields. And of course, Ryan Pace was another general manager. He got canned. So, same the rules applies. And the Broncos, of course, Big Mangio was let go after three seasons. He had a 19 and 30 record. Did not make the playoffs. He developed. He did develop a good, strong um, defense, but he had the same problem that J- Vance Joseph had. He didn't have a consistency at the quarterback. Denver never got him a quarterback. So I mean, you can have all a, a good of a defense as you have, but if you don't have a quarterback, what good are you? The quarterback is the leader of the team. And he goes as the team goes. But yet, the Broncos, since Peyton Manning, have not been able to find consistency and stability at the quarterback position. Now, let's go to the one that nobody saw coming. And that's Brian Flores. After three seasons in Miami, he was fired as head coach. He went 24-25. and 25 I mean, two back-to-back winning seasons. Of course, unfortunately, he did miss the playoffs. <laughs> now, this obviously shows that the Dolphins have no idea what they're doing. I mean, obviously, it's been reported that Flores wanted Justin Fe- Justin Herbert, and he got overruled. And they went with two instead. You know, Brian Flores was willing to go to bat they get Deshaun Watson. They overruled that. So it seems like on the on the surface he was okay with Tua, but in but in but in private he wasn't sold on it, and that also led to his firing. Now let me get this straight. When Brian Flores got there, the Miami Dolphins was a dumpster fire. This man was building something there. Now I get it, you know, three in the third year, that's usually a make or break year. But you know what? In this case, he didn't have any consistency at the quarterback position. Tua was in and out of the lineup, but yet he was building a, a good young defense. And that's what you need to have sustainability in the NFL. A defense that's good, and most importantly, that is young. So they obviously just so Stephen Ross, showing he knows nothing, 
decided to pick his general manager over his coach. I'll just say this. If the Dolphins go nowhere for the next few seasons, it's nobody's fault but their own. I mean, they better make a splash and get Jim Harbaugh or somebody because you got to remember, this is South Beach. If Miami is terrible, fans ain't got, ain't, ain't gonna have, they're not going to go to the games. The stadiums are going to be empty. There's plenty to do in, in Miami. So, Stephen Ross, you better hope you know what you're doing. Because I believe you're going to regret this. And I hope that Brian Flores gets a head coaching job again. And I believe he will. I mean, I can think of several of these um, openings he'd be great at. I mean, it'd be great if he can get somebody that has a, a consistency at the quarterback position. So, you know, someplace like the Bears. You know, you got quarterback. All you need to do is, you know, I mean, revamp the offensive line, rebuild the defense, which is getting old. I mean, even Denver would be a good place. You just need to, um, you know, let the brass know in Denver, what are we going to do with the quarterback? And just build off what Vangio built in Denver on the defensive side of the ball. So, it's going to be interesting to see with these openings, who's going to get um, hired. And also, I just also remembered one other thing. Jacksonville has an opening as well. So it's going to be interesting to see if anybody wants to go down there and um, work for Shad Khan, who's done a terrible job as owner. I mean, I mean, here's another thing these owners better um, remember. Who you get as head coach is going to determine if you're able to attract free agents to your um, team. I mean, if you get a head coach that's lousy or a team that doesn't look like they're going anywhere, you're not going to attract any free agents. And I'm talking to you, Stephen Ross and Shad Khan. You guys have teams in Florida. I mean, beautiful weather. No state income tax. And if you can't attract free agents there, then you need to give up you need to give up your teams. Now in Chicago, all I'm gonna say is if you can do it in Chicago, I mean you'll be a god almost, you know, like Mike Ditka. In Denver, I mean if you can do it there, I mean you'll be up there next to next to Elway and next to Peyton Manning. So you get it done in those places, great. And if you can get it in New York, the biggest media market in America, I mean, you want to talk about um, godlike status. I mean, you'll be, you'll be up there with Bill Parcells if you can get it done in New York. So a little something for you owners. You better pick the right coach. And show that your te- you you want to take your teams in a different direction. If you want to start having success again in the near future, that will that will conclude this segment. 
and conclude episode 109 of Sports Takes Galore. I'm your host, Gabe. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for downloading. I appreciate it. You can follow this podcast by going to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter at ggsports13. And you can go to my Facebook page at Sports Takes Galore with Gabe. I'd like to thank you again for listening. Thank you for downloading. Have a wonderful evening, and I'll talk to you again on Friday. Bye-bye. Thank you.